Perspectives, which is a series of inspiring conversations with remarkable working women. And I am very happy today to be talking with my friend, Dr. Logan Lefkoff, who is a human sexuality and relationship expert. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for stopping by to talk with us. So I think I want to jump right in and talk about on the heels of a vagina scented candle, Goop has recently been touting its new vibrator and also talking a lot about porn, trying to take the stigma off of porn, trying to take the stigma off of uh, sex toys. What do you think about that? <laughs> well, as, as an intellectual opportunist, I love any opportunity we have to have intelligent conversations about sex and pleasure and pornography and erotica, because I don't think there's enough out there, right? There's a lot of polarizing messages. Not all of those messages are based in fact. Um, so I, I, I think that that discourse is good. That being said, um, while I love expanding the sexual health and pleasure categories, and I think the more products you have available, the better off we are. Variety is good. Choice is good. Um, there is something a little bit disingenuous, unfortunately, about Gwyneth Paltrow and Goop touting their new line of vibrators as like the first intellectual, not explicitly sex looking products. Um, because there have been a lot of those <laughs> products that have been made by women run and, and female led companies for a long time now. So I, I think it's wrong to suggest that like they are the first because people have been doing this for a really long time and doing it beautifully. But that being said, uh, talking about vibrators on a, on a national or global scale is a, is a good thing. It's, it's an interesting thing though, right? Because in, in this particular case, before we move on to talking about something else, Gwyneth Paltrow last week was interviewed by the New York Times really to promote these new vibrators. And when she was asked if she herself uses it, she didn't, she didn't want to say. So it's making things mainstream, but not really, there's still that stigma of not totally embracing it where she as a movie star and lifestyle guru doesn't feel comfortable even admitting to using it herself. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really problematic. This would have been an opportunity, especially from someone who not only sells vibrators, but sells this candle smells like my vagina and this candle smells like my orgasm candles, that this would have been an opportunity for her, even if she didn't want to say, yes, I use it regularly or every other day or whatever someone's you know pleasure pursuits are, she could have said, I, I use all of the products that we put out there because I, I want everyone to know that these are these are good and important products, right? But she, but she didn't say that. And I think that's what, what doubles down on why this is so problematic for me, because if you're gonna go into the sexual health space, you have to do so without perpetuating shame and stigma or saying like, it's okay for you, but not for me. That's never been a good message in, in, in my world anyway. So somebody who has no problem saying it's good for me too, is my friend Cindy Gallup, who has an amazing website, Make Love Not Porn. And when she was starting it, we were having a drink and she was explaining to me that um, she really wanted to do it because the men that she was 
was with at the time and she likes younger men and she has no problem talking about it. She's an amazing woman. Um, they were having sex with her in a very specific way, the way they had seen in porn, which wasn't reality. So she wanted to create this site of people, real people having sex. Do you think that's important? I think it is critically important for people to be critical and thoughtful consumers of all types of media, including pornography and erotica with a, with a capital E. Things are designed to entertain us to elicit a reaction, uh, but they're not all designed to educate and inform us, particularly when it comes to our sex lives. So I think it is incredibly important, not just to see diversity of sex, of gender, of sexual orientation, of disability, of body shape. I mean, all of these things that don't really exist in most mainstream pornography. I think the idea of making pornography and erotica accessible, emotionally accessible is really important. I am by no means anti-pornography or erotica, and it's certainly a big polarizing subject for a lot of people, but I think that with anything, if we use these things in a smart way and understand their limitations, um, they can be wonderful enhancements to our sexual lives. Now, talking about sexual lives, which is why I wanted to start here, one of the things about this period of time for working women, especially, especially I believe women that are home, you know, still working from home, trying to juggle their kids and homeschooling if they need to, and the state of the world is a reduced sex drive. So vibrators or porn or whatever, you know, a lot of women, and I think a lot of people are just like, it's not at the top of their list or they want to do it, but they're exhausted. And what, what advice do you have for women to kind of get their sex drive back up? Well, I, we, we often, I think we're, we're sold a bad bill of goods about what desire really looks like, because the gold standard that, that we see presented is, and, and Emily Nagoski's book, Come As You Are, is wonderful in this area. Um, is this idea that if sex is really hot and great, it's that you can have it spontaneously, right? Your partner, someone you find really attractive comes home, you can drop your pants and be ready to go. I, most people I know don't really operate like that. But if that's the model, even an incorrect one that we're trying to live up to, that's going to be really difficult to do. So I think the first thing is to remember that the way in which we feel desire, the way in which we may be aroused, which may not be spontaneously, um, is totally okay, right? That you are still normal and it doesn't mean you necessarily have a decreased sex drive. It just means that you can't turn on immediately and guess what? Lots of people can't either. Um, so I think that's the, that's the first piece of it. The other thing is, we have to start remembering that our sexual and intimate lives are really important. And, and that connection to another person is important, physical connection to another person, and that we can redefine what sex is and what pleasure is. I think that we do ourselves a disservice when it's only about this one particular act, as if there's like a hierarchy of things that count as sex. Pleasure happens in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I... <laughs> I always laugh when people talk about, you know, is my sex life the same as someone else's? And my response is, who cares if it's fulfilling for you? Like a good hand job could go a long way, 
right? And I mean, that gen- like without any particular gender or body part attached to that, like, th- and still be fun, still not necessarily be as exhausting as something else if you perceive sex in a, in a particular time to be exhausting. Um, but putting your sex life and your pleasure first really helps all of the other things in your life. But especially as women, when you grow up hearing that, you know, someone else makes you sexual and you're not entitled to feel this until a certain magical point in time in your life, it, it, it does it does do damage later on when we when we want to prioritize our sex lives and and can't find the wherewithal to do it. So that's sort of more that really worked. I mean, that advice goes for everyone, but I was thinking more of people that are in some kind of partnership. So let's also talk about people that are single right now. So this is, it's always been a hard time. I think it's always been a little bit harder as a working woman when you're balancing so many things as a single woman too, and then throw on top of it, everything that's happening with the pandemic, having to be careful in more ways than you used to. What's a good way? Uh, I, I guess safe sex takes on a different meaning now. So what's a good way to meet people or have sex during this time? If you're it, single? Yes, it's a really important question. Safe sex does take on a new meaning, but actually it, I, I think its meaning has just become more expanded. And I think the lessons for those of us that grew up as and came of age in a time of HIV AIDS, where we learned how to develop the the skills for talking about STI testing and protection and condoms and all of those really important things that are still critical to our sexual lives now, we can apply those same strategies and scripts for masks about social distancing. Um, And again, regardless of someone's age, we have to ask those complicated questions, questions which may be When's the last time you were tested for COVID? Or, you know, do you take off your mask regularly? In what situations? Like how much risk exposure do you have? And is your risk profile or tolerance the same as mine? And if it is, great. And if it's not, then okay, let's let's wait a little bit. And again, those questions can be uncomfortable, but they're necessary. You really don't have a choice, right? If you want to make an informed decision, not just for you, but for a potential partner, or if you're living with anyone else, whether that's family members or not, you have to ask those questions. Yeah, absolutely. So changing gears a little bit. Last, well, actually a week and a half ago, and then again yesterday, I interviewed Joanne Lublin, who um, is a Pulitzer Prize winning former editor at the Wall Street Journal and has written two books on working women. Her newest book, Power Moms, just came out. In her book, she talks about having a marriage contract with her husband. And so this obviously goes with any version of a partner that you have. Doesn't have to be her husband. But if you're coupling up with somebody else, she had, she had a marriage contract, which was not a prenup, didn't have to do with things, but had to do with, this is what I want, I value in a relationship. I'm not, it was it even went down to, I'm not taking your last name. I'm planning on working. Do you think something like that is valuable today? It's a great question. And, and it's, a, I, I mean, I love, I love the idea only because it forces you to have those, those conversations about your core values, not just your core values as an individual, but in any particular partnership. I mean, do I think it needs to be written and drawn out? 
or drawn up? Not necessarily. Do I think those conversations need to be had? 100% yes. And the sooner you have them, the better. So I'm, I'm, I always smile because I, I don't, I don't talk about my, I mean, I don't talk about my personal life or my marriage a lot, but I, I've been married for 20 years. I've been with the same person for 25 years. And the first, on our first date, and I mean, I was a kid, I was 19 years old. Um, I remember saying to him, look, uh, you know, I'm Jewish. It's really important to me to be Jewish. You're not. If we ever wound up together, what would we do about our kids? And he looked at me and said, like, Logan. Like, we've known each other a hot minute. And I looked at him and said, I know it sounds, it sounds absurd, but it's important to me. And if like, this is going to go anywhere, I just want, I just want to make sure that I've said what I need to say. And we had this great conversation and it sounds ridiculous, but I, I don't believe in, in those old dating rules that say you wait a certain point in time to have those core value-based conversations because when your feelings are involved, it's too late. It's much easier to do it early on and say, this is what's important to me. Are we on the same page? Can we compromise? Or maybe we can't. So I love the idea of, of, of laying the groundwork early. Yeah. However it is, it doesn't have to be written. I, I, I agree with you. I think for me being married now the second time I knew when I met my now husband, I knew exactly what I was looking for. It was a luxury of having done it once already. So, you know, I, I asked him those things too. Well, not that we're both Jewish, but you know, like <laughs> other things and that we weren't having kids together, but still you want to understand, are you on the same page about so many important things? Yeah, so it is, it is really, it is really important. I think people are afraid to do that for fear that they're going to come off as being women in particular, right? As being too pushy or too attached too early. Whereas it's actually not about attachment at all. It's about just stating, this is who I am and this is what's important to me. And for this stage in my life, like these things are critical to, to a successful partnership for me. And if I, if, if I can't get them or we can't have them, then this is not right. Um, so maybe we need to reframe that, that those early conversations aren't about putting the cart before the horse as much as it is managing everyone's expectations early on. So even for people that had all sorts of understandings, this past year <laughs> has been you know, mind-boggling um, for the pandemic mostly and for situations that have caused for the incredible, incredible divisiveness in the country. I mean, it, it has been a very bizarre time. How has it been for you and your family? And has there been anything that you've done differently that you might keep, that you're going to keep? It's, it, I, I'm a little, me who's so anti-feeling shame, I, I feel a little, um, I feel a little embarrassed admitting this, but this year has actually been quite amazing for my family. Um, I think that the four of us have spent up until a year ago, um, we were like four ships that pass each other in the night. We worked, we traveled, we went to school, we went to hockey games, we went to dance, and we were just sort of like zipping around each other's orbits and not really like spending real quality time together. So this year has been this, this reset for all of us where we have meals together, we have conversations, we really like each other, oddly enough. Um, 
And I think it's been amazing to have this forced forced opportunity to to really remember why we are a family and and what each other's strengths are and what our particular challenges are and have a new level of respect for all of those things. So while yes, things can be absolutely tricky and we've been very lucky to have an experience that that we've had, and I certainly understand that not everyone does, um, maybe we can look at this time as a as a as a reset moment for us to think about what are our, our family core values, what are we good at, what are our contributions to our families or partnerships. Um, and, and maybe maybe change the way we see this time as an opportunity instead of instead of something that's been really terrible. I mean, because yes, there are terrible parts to it. Clearly, the health piece of it is the is the you know is the worst piece of it. But um, maybe there's something that we can all get out of it. It. I mean, I think a lot of women that I talk to have said similar things. Obviously, there's been hard times for my family over the summer. We had COVID. Except my son, weirdly enough, I have to figure out what blood type he is. He, he didn't. He didn't have it. He was with us, and my husband got quite sick. He didn't have to go to the hospital, but he was quite sick. But overall, it was a time where you really get to relook at things and say, "Is this how I want to do it going forward?" Were there things with your work life that you changed or thought about differently that you're going to keep going forward? That's it. That's tricky. Only it's, it's tricky to answer because so much of my work being in in schools, so much of my work is gone, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I, I am I am still teaching sporadically virtually, but there is something about being a sexuality educator that you really need to work the room, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you need to get buy-in from your students or participants. You need them to feel like you really care about them and who they are and what they're experiencing. And I mean, while it's doable virtually, it's really not the same, right? It's not the same as knowing that you're looking in some at someone and you're smiling directly at them saying, I'm listening to you when you have a bunch of Zoom boxes on and no one knows who you're talking to. Um, so that part has a little bit been a little bit challenging, but I think what it's given me is a new appreciation for what educators do, not just in my field, but educators in general do yeah. on a regular basis. Um, you know, and I and I see it with with kids who are in some version of you know, one's a hybrid, one's in person, one wasn't in person, and and you you really have a new appreciation for all of the people in your life. So I'm I'm not sure I'll take with me anything in my my in terms of working, but I do think that I will probably spend a little bit more time. Um, I, I'm, I'm a terrible cook. I, I don't make dinner, but I've been making dinner, which is really, which is odd. And I still don't like it, but I, but I do realize that that is, that is time that I am deliberately giving to my family. So I, I think I'll take I don't want to say that out loud just in case. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll do a little, maybe that'll stay. But but work workload-wise, I'm not I'm not sure because so much of what I do is is so connected to, to human beings, and that's 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 challenging right now. Yeah. I'm a terrible cook too, and we've been renovating our house for months and months. And ironically, we started right before the 
pandemic and we haven't had a kitchen and people keep saying to me, oh, it must be so hard for you. Really, it hasn't been hard at all. It's been a bit of a relief. I have my air fryer and, um, you know, that's all I need. So one of the things about going back to the first few questions we were talking about around sex is decompressing enough that you feel like you're in the mood. And a lot of that revolves around self-care. And I know some people sort of bristle at that notion of self-care, but it is very important, especially if if your universe has gotten a little smaller, which hopefully it will open up with the vaccine soon enough. Are there ways that you can share with women that they can find time or find things to do to take care of themselves right now? Definitely. I think that we can consider self-care, self-love, whatever word we want to use, whether we bristle at it or not. Um, Think about it from a five senses model, right? What are things in each of those categories that make us feel good about ourselves? So for me, I am... I love music more than anything else. I can hear a song and tell you where I was, what I was wearing, what year it was, who I was with. Like that that to me like makes me happier than anything else. So I, I think about what's the music I'm gonna play? What's the soundtrack that's going to get me in the mood for whatever it is, whether it's sex, whether it's exercise, whether it's just like putting a smile you know, on my face in the beginning of the day. What am I going to eat? What am I going to, you know, what's the, what's the scent around me? What am I going to watch? I don't think we do that enough. You know, we think about it from a, maybe what makes our body feel good, but not from a holistic perspective. So maybe we can start thinking about what are the things we need to surround ourselves with in all of these areas and sensate areas that are going to put us in whatever space we want to want to be in. But everyone should have a song. Everyone should have a song that they put on that makes them want to dance around in their underwear. Everyone should have that song. So it will never not be Pour Some Sugar On Me by Def Leppard. That is (laughs) the one. (laughs) I mean, hopefully it's not on when I'm driving because all of a sudden I want to like strip off and and I have nowhere to dance, you know, sitting in traffic. But, (laughs) But everyone should have that song. Everyone should have that song. Um, I agree. So (laughs) just to finish, is there one piece of advice that has helped you through your life and career that you can share with us? That's the toughest question I think I've ever been asked, Katie. And I've been asked a lot of questions in my my time. Uh, What is the best piece of advice? Well, I... I think the the best piece of advice, and I'm not sure if it was something that was given to me specifically or just what, what what I turned it into, screw the rules <laughs> this idea that that there are rules in order to have a successful partnership or sexual identity or parenthood or or working title i I, I think that rules prevent us from from doing the things that we actually want to be doing. So if we can get rid of these expectations, these silly expectations that we put on ourselves that don't guarantee success or fulfillment in any way um, and start playing by our own set of personal rules, we'll be, we'll be a lot happier in the long run. And, and again, whether that's sex or marriage or parenting or work, I mean, it's all the same. Rules, rules prevent us at times from being the people we want to be. I love that. <laughs> 
Thank you, Logan. It was a pleasure talking with you. So nice talking to you too. Thank you for having me. Thank you.